Welcome to the Enchanted Library, where we turn the pages of books, beautiful and old, living and magical. It's time to curl up, get cozy, and join us on an adventure. Today we're reading from The Wonder Book by Nathaniel Hawthorne, The Golden Touch. These reflections so troubled wise King Midas that he began to doubt whether, after all, riches are the one desirable thing in the world, or even the most desirable. But this was only a passing thought. So fascinated was Midas with the glitter of the yellow metal that he would have refused to give up the golden touch for so paltry a consideration as a breakfast. Just imagine what a price for one meal's victuals. It would have been the same as paying millions and millions of money, and as many millions more as would take forever to reckon up, for some fried trout, an egg, a potato, a hot cake, and a cup of coffee. It would be quite too dear, thought Midas. Nevertheless, so great was his hunger and the perplexity of his situation that he again groaned aloud, and very grievously too. Our pretty Marigold could endure it no longer. She sat a moment, gazing at her father, and trying, with all the might of her little wits, to find out what was the matter with him. Then, with a sweet and sorrowful impulse to comfort him, she started from her chair, and running to Midas, threw her arms affectionately about his knees. He bent down and kissed her. He felt that his little daughter's love was worth a thousand times more than he had gained by the golden touch. "'My precious, precious Marigold!' cried he. But Marigold gave no answer. Alas, what had he done? How fatal was the gift which the stranger bestowed! The moment the lips of Midas touched Marigold's forehead, a change had taken place. Her sweet, rosy face, so full of affection as it had been, assumed a glittering yellow color, with yellow teardrops congealing on her cheeks.' Her beautiful round ringlets took the same tint. Her soft and tender little form grew hard and inflexible within her father's encircling arms. Oh, terrible misfortune! The victim of his insatiable desire for wealth, little Marigold was a human child no longer, but a golden statue. Yes, there she was, with the questioning look of love, grief, and pity hardened into her face. It was the prettiest and most woeful sight that ever mortal saw. All the features and tokens of Marigold were there. Even the beloved little dimple remained in her golden chin. But the more perfect was the resemblance, the greater was the father's agony at beholding this golden image, which was all that was left to him of a daughter. It had been a favorite phrase of Midas, whenever he felt particularly fond of the child, to say that she was worth her weight in gold. And now the phrase had become literally true. And now, at last, when it was too late, he felt how infinitely warm and tender heart that loved him exceeded in value all the wealth that could be piled up betwixt the earth and sky. It would be too sad a story if I were to tell you how Midas, in the fullness of all his gratified desires, began to wring his hands and bemoan himself, and how he could neither bear to look at Marigold, nor yet to look away from her. Except when his eyes were fixed on the image, he could not possibly believe that she was changed to gold. But stealing another glance, there was the precious little figure, 
with a yellow teardrop on its yellow cheek, and a look so piteous and tender that it seemed that if the very expression must needs soften the gold and make it flesh again. This, however, could not be. So Midas only had only to wring his hands and wish he was the poorest man in the wide world, if the loss of all his wealth might bring back the faintest rose color to his dear child's face. While he was in this tumult of despair, he suddenly beheld a stranger standing near the door. Midas bent down his head without speaking, for he recognized the same figure which had appeared to him the day before in the treasure room, and bestowed on him this disastrous faculty of the golden touch. The stranger's countenance still wore a smile, which seemed to shed a yellow luster all about the room, and gleamed on little Marigold's image, and all the other objects that had been transmuted by the touch of Midas. "'Well, friend Midas,' said the stranger, "'pray how do you succeed with the golden touch?' Midas shook his head. "'I am very miserable,' said he. "'Very miserable, indeed,' exclaimed the stranger. "'And how happens that? "'Have I not faithfully kept my promise with you? "'Have you not everything your heart desires?' "'Gold is not everything,' answered Midas, "'and I have lost all my heart really cared for.' "'Ah, so you have made a discovery since yesterday?' observed the stranger. "'Let us see, then. "'Which of these two things do you think is really worth the most? "'The gift of the golden touch, or one cup of clear, cold water?' "'Oh, blessed water!' exclaimed Midas. "'It will never moisten my parched throat again.' "'The golden touch,' continued the stranger, "'or a crust of bread.' "'A piece of bread,' answered Midas, "'is worth all the gold on earth.' "'The golden touch?' asked the stranger. "'Or your own little marigold, "'warm, soft, and loving as she was an hour ago.' "'Oh, my child, my dear child,' cried poor Midas, wringing his hands. "'I would not have given that one small dimple in her chin "'for the power of changing this whole big earth "'into a solid lump of gold.' "'You are wiser than you were, King Midas,' said the stranger, "'looking seriously at him. "'Your own heart, I perceive, has not been entirely changed "'from flesh to gold. "'Were it so, your case would indeed be desperate.' "'But you appear to be still capable of understanding the commonest things, "'such as lie within everybody's grasp, "'are more valuable than the riches "'which so many mortals sigh and struggle after. "'Tell me now, do you sincerely desire to rid yourself of this golden touch?' "'It is hateful to me,' replied Midas. "'A fly settled on his nose, but immediately fell to the floor, "'for it, too, had become gold.' "'Midas shuddered.' "'Go then,' said the stranger, "'and plunge into the river that glides past the bottom of your garden. "'Take likewise a vase of the same water, "'and sprinkle it over any object that you may desire "'to change back again from gold into its former substance. "'If you do this in earnestness and sincerity, "'it may possibly repair the mischief which your avarice has occasioned.' "'King Midas bowed low, and when he lifted his head, "'the lustrous stranger had vanished.' Now you will easily believe that Midas lost no time in snatching up a great earthen pitcher. But alas me, it was no longer earthen after he touched it, and hastening to the riverside. As he scampered along and forced his way through the shrubbery, it was positively marvelous to see how the foliage turned yellow behind him, as if the autumn had been there, and nowhere else. On reaching the river's brink, he plunged headlong in, without waiting so much as to pull off his shoes." 
Poof, 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 snorted King Midas as his head emerged out of the water. Well, this is really a refreshing bath, and I think it must have quite washed away the golden touch. And now for filling my pitcher. As he dipped the pitcher into the water, it gladdened his very heart to see it change from gold into the same good, honest earthen vessel which it had been before he touched it. He was conscious also of a change within himself. A cold, hard, and heavy weight seemed to have gone out of his bosom. No doubt his heart had been gradually losing its human substance and transmuting itself into insensible metal, but had now softened back into flesh. Perceiving a violet that grew on the bank of the river, Midas touched it with his finger and was overjoyed to find that the delicate flower retained its purple hue instead of undergoing a yellow blight. The curse of the golden touch had, therefore, really been removed from him. King Midas hastened back to the palace, and I suppose the servants knew not what to make of it when they saw their royal master so carefully bringing home an earthen pitcher of water. But that water, which was to undo all the mischief that his folly had wrought, was more precious to Midas than an ocean of molten gold could have been. The first thing he did as you need hardly be told, was to sprinkle it by handfuls over the golden figure of little Marigold. No sooner did it fall on her than you would have laughed to see how the rosy color came back to the dear child's cheek, and how she began to sneeze and sputter, and how astonished she was at finding herself dripping wet and her father still throwing more water over her. "'Pray do not, dear father,' cried she. "'See how you have wet my nice frock, which I only put on this morning.' For Marigold did not know that she had been a little golden statue, nor could she remember anything that had happened since the moment she ran with outstretched arms to comfort poor King Midas. Her father did not think it necessary to tell his beloved child how very foolish he had been, but contented himself with showing how much wiser he had now grown. For this purpose, he led little Marigold into the garden, where he sprinkled all the remainder of the water over the rose bushes, and with such good effect that above five thousand roses recovered their beautiful bloom. There were two circumstances, however, which, as long as he lived, used to put King Midas in mind of the golden touch. One was that the sands of the river sparkled like gold. The other, that little Marigold's hair now had a golden tinge, which he had never observed in it before she had been transmuted by the effect of his kiss. This change of hue was really an improvement, and made Marigold's hair richer than in her babyhood. When King Midas had grown quite an old man, and used to trot Marigold's children on his knee, he was fond of telling them this marvelous story, pretty much as I have told it now to you. And then he would stroke their glossy ringlets and tell them that their hair, likewise, had a rich shade of gold which they had inherited from their mother. And to tell you the truth, my precious little folks, quoth King Midas, diligently trotting the children all the while, ever since that morning, I have hated this very sight of all other gold save this. Well, children, inquired Eustace, who was very fond of eliciting a definite opinion from his auditors, did you ever in all your lives listen to a better story than this of the Golden Touch? Why, as to the story of King Midas, said Saucy Primrose, it was a famous story one thousands of years before Mr. Eustace Bright came into the world, and will continue to be so long after he quits it. But some people have what we may call the leaden touch, and make everything dull and heavy that they lay their fingers upon. 
You are a smart child, Primrose, to be not yet in your teens, said Eustace, rather taken aback by the piquancy of her criticism. But you well know in your naughty little heart that I have burnished the old gold of Midas all over anew and have made it shine as it never shone before. And then that figure of Marigold. Do you perceive no nice workmanship in that? And how finely I have brought out and deepened the moral. What say you, sweet fern, dandelion, clover, periwinkle? Would any of you, after hearing the story, be so foolish as to desire the faculty of changing things to gold? I should like, said Periwinkle, a girl of ten, to have the power of turning everything to gold with my right forefinger, but with my left forefinger I should want the power of changing it back again if the first change did not please me. And I know what I would do this very afternoon. Pray tell me, said Eustace. Why, answered Periwinkle, I would touch every one of those golden leaves with the tree on my left forefinger and make them all green again that we might have the summer back at once, with no ugly winter in the meantime. "'Oh, Periwinkle,' cried Eustace Bright, "'there you are wrong and would do a great deal of mischief. "'Were I Midas, I would make nothing else "'but just such golden days as these over and over again, "'all through the year. "'My best thoughts always come a little too late. "'Why did I not tell you how old King Midas came to America "'and changed the dusky autumn?' such as it is in other countries, into the burnished beauty which here it puts on. He gilded the leaves of the great volume of nature. Cousin Eustace, said Sweet Fern, a good little boy, who was always making particular inquiries about the precise height of giants and the littleness of fairies. How big was Marigold, and how much did she weigh after she was turned into gold? She was about as tall as you are, replied Eustace. And, as gold is very heavy, she weighed at least two thousand pounds, and might have been coined into thirty or forty thousand gold dollars. I wish Primrose were worth half as much. Come, little people, let's clamber out of the dell and look about us. They did so. The sun was now about an hour or two beyond its noontide mark, and filled the great hollow of the valley with its western radiance, so that it seemed to be brimming with mellow light, and to spill it over the surrounding hillsides like golden wine out of a bowl. It was such a day that you could not help saying of it, there never was such a day before, although yesterday was just such a day, and tomorrow will be another just such. Ah, but there are very few of them in a twelve-month circle." It is a remarkable peculiarity of these October days, that each seems to occupy a great deal of space, although the sun rises rather tardily at that season of the year, and goes to bed, as little children ought, at sober six o'clock, or even earlier. We cannot, therefore, call the days long, but they appear, somehow or other, to make up for their shortness by their breadth, and when the cool night comes, we are conscious of having enjoyed a big armful of life since morning." "'Come, children, come!' cried Eustace Bright. "'More nuts, more nuts, more nuts! "'Fill all your baskets, and at Christmas time "'I will crack them for you and tell you beautiful stories.' "'So away they went, all of them in excellent spirits, "'except little Dandelion, who, I am sorry to tell you, "'had been sitting on a chestnut burr "'and was stuck as full of a pincushion of its prickles. "'Dear me, how uncomfortably he must have felt!' 
Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and share our podcast with a friend. Stay connected by following us on Facebook at facebook.com slash enchanted library. If you'd like to support the work we do, you can visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash enchanted library. We appreciate your support. Until next time, friends, happy reading.